Hey folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you audit your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're going to get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down. My blood sugar is down. My weight's down. My health is up. My sleeping patterns are better. My metabolism is up. If you want to experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. Hello, America, and welcome to the morning after. Yes, the morning after the midterm elections, where we got a muddled message, a mixed verdict. I guess we're getting kind of used to those, right? They've been coming since 2016 pretty regularly. We're going to get to that in a second, my take on what happened at the election. But we've got a great, great show for you tonight. Former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, is going to tell us what happened, what lies ahead, what to learn from, and what these results, which they're very mixed, what they portend for 2024. And then we're going to talk to the one and only Congressman Andy Biggs from Arizona. He won big. Arizona is likely to be a split verdict. It looks like Blake Masters may lose here. It's possible, though not certain, but possible that Kerry Lake might win in Arizona. So we're going to talk to Andy Biggs about that. And then about what is the agenda of investigation going forward? Where should they start? And what messages should Republicans take from the mixed verdict they got? And then finally, we're going to talk to a Cuban expat, Dr. Orlando Gutierrez Boronat. He wrote one of my favorite books of the year called The Doctrine of the Lie, looking at Cuba and how America has lied to make excuses for some of Cuba's bad boy behavior that we know is going on, but we underplay it. He's here to not only talk about that book, but also the extraordinary victory that Ron DeSantis and Marco Rubio scored in Florida. 20-point win for DeSantis, 15-point win for Rubio. Republicans captured Miami-Dade for the first time since 1994. Latinos have moved significantly in Republicans' direction in Florida, not only for DeSantis and for Rubio, but also in some of the House races, where particularly in that I-4 beltway corner, Anna Paulina Luna, one out in the Tampa area, one other Republican won. So two of the three that were in the I-4 beltway went Republican. These were previously Democrat seats. Latinos played a big role in that as well. So we've got a great lineup. It's been a long night. Everyone's tired. But I want to get first to what my take is on what happened. First off, 
the Republicans, their critical mission was to capture at least one chamber of Congress and ensure that they would have a long-term counterbalance to the Biden agenda. It appears that they have the House likely won. We won't know until later today, but we think there's a good chance that they will have the House maybe by a 10 to 15, 10 to 18 seat margin. Then there is the Senate. And just a few minutes ago, a good friend of this show, Senator Ron Johnson, well, he kept Wisconsin red. J.D. Vance kept Ohio red. Dr. Oz lost Pennsylvania, which means Republicans have to come up with two to capture the Senate. And the most likely outcome of that is Paul Laxalt is leading and probably could eke out a win in Nevada. That would be a big win. And then that would create a 50-49 Senate with one state going to a runoff. Oh, my God, if this sounds familiar, it's because it is. Georgia again. Georgia is going to be a runoff. And if Herschel Walker can be dragged across the line with Governor Kemp and Governor DeSantis and President Trump working together, then you have a 51-49 Republican Senate. If not, it'll flip the other way and Democrats will keep control of the Senate. The other big prize is Florida. Uh, Florida is no longer a toss-up battleground state. It is a clear red state. Ron DeSantis, the I-4 candidates, Marco Rubio, all made that clear. And it's a combination of many things. A lot of New Yorkers and Northerners came down who are Republican, fled their blue states after the pandemic. Latinos have trended that way. DeSantis just is extraordinarily popular to independents, uh, as is Marco Rubio. But uh, Florida is not a purple state. It's a red state now. And that's one of the big things that this election made clear. What else are we to make of it? Well, listen, for the third straight election, Americans delivered a split verdict. But they've told us a lot about where our country's heading, where our country's heading, and what it means for the 2024 presidential contest. And I think the first message is that most Americans don't embrace the Democrats' far-left policies. They don't like where the country's going under Joe Biden. Nearly seven to eight out of every 10 Americans said we're on the wrong track. But many of them still voted, at least at the statewide level, for their Democrat candidate. They split their ticket. Why is that? Because they weren't sold on some of the GOP's statewide candidates. It's a candidate issue, as Mitch McConnell and Karl Rove have been warning, and they turned out to be right. There are still some unknown places. I think Carrie Lake could win in Arizona. It's trending her way. There are some good signs for Republicans, like Jen Kiggins. She captured a blue Virginia House seat. Ron DeSantis blows out Florida. Brian Kemp blows out Georgia. Those two look like Glenn Youngkin's win in 2021. The ones who won statewide office, who are Republicans, were able to put Latinos, suburban moms, suburban women, traditional Republicans, MAGA plus traditional Republican were married together. And in those states where the statewide candidate could grab both sides, they win. In states where MAGA and the country club Republicans, the traditional Republicans, the rhinos, whatever you want to call them, were divided things didn't go as well. Blake Masters, a good example of ticket splitting. Those are big ones. Mehmet Oz is a good example. Tudor Dixon, Herschel Walker, Blake Masters, all were Republicans who couldn't bring both sides together, and so they had some ticket splitting going. Some of the ticket splitting is pretty significant. There's another problem Republicans have is with voters under the age of 30 really instrumental once again to Democrat victories. 
They care about abortion. They care about climate change. Republicans have got to, as I've said on the show many times, develop a climate change strategy and also think through what their messaging is on abortion. That's an important one. Early voting is still one of the Democrats' secret weapons. Republicans haven't wanted to do mail-in voting. And as a result, you see how they can win an election. John Fetterman's a great example. He got hundreds of thousands of votes before people got to see him at the debate because of early balloting. Republicans have to stop unilaterally surrendering on using mail-in ballots to get early vote. If it's legal, use it. Don't unilaterally surrender. I think that's one of the great messages. And so we're going to have all of this on the site. There's a really important analysis I wrote called Americans Delivered Another Split Verdict and Told Us a Lot About Our Future. The take on that is on the lead of the Just the News site here in Washington, D.C. Go check that out. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, an extraordinary lineup of great guests today. We're going to start with Newt Gingrich, the former House Speaker and the leader of the 94 Revolution, then Andy Biggs from Arizona. And we'll wrap up with Orlando Gutierrez Boronat, a man who knows a thing or two about Cuba and America's failure to be honest about much of what goes on in Cuba. We're going to have that conversation as well. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after these commercial messages. Hey, folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you out at your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down, my blood sugar is down, my weight's down, my health is up, my sleeping patterns are better, my metabolism is up. If you wanna experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. 
All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. This next guest can make the most sense of what is still a very cloudy situation the morning after the midterm elections. He is the leader of the 1994 revolution, one of the greatest conservative thought leaders of his generation. He is none other than Speaker Newt Gingrich. Mr. Speaker, great to have you on the show. Well, it's, it's great to be with you, and uh, this is quite a week. And I think there's a lot for us to digest and a lot of interesting things happening. Yeah, and some history still to be written, whether it's Georgia again with a runoff. But it seemed to me that there were three options here, right? The Republicans, Democrats could get fully fired, Republicans hired. Democrats get fired and Republicans get an audition. Or Democrats get a timeout and Republicans get an audition. And right now it feels like that third scenario is where we are. How do you assess why voters saw the country going in the wrong direction, but sometimes still stuck to their Democratic statewide officeholder? Well, I think part of it was that, and I have to confess, I was surprised. I thought the, with with the inflation rate and the price of gasoline and the price of food and the crime rate and the border problems and the radicalism in schools, that 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 com- that combination would have led to a bigger <clears throat> Republican victory than it did. So, I just want the audience to understand. I'm starting from a position of, I personally am still trying to sort out exactly what's happened. Um, but I think that you had, uh, in the House side, for example, you had these very interesting changes. We lost more Republican incumbents than I would have expected. On the other hand, we did so much better in New York and in Florida that, that uh, you know, Kevin McCarthy clearly now is going to become Speaker. He may have a majority about the same as we had in 94 after the contract with America. So. Uh, it'll, you know, it will be a significant thing. In the Senate, it's beginning to look like um, <clears throat> it'll be 50 Republicans, 49 Democrats, and one open seat. And that open seat will be right back where we were in 2020. It'll be in Georgia. And I think at, uh, at that uh, is going to be uh, sort of a very interesting moment if, if that's what happens. And Herschel Walker just put out another while ago that said, so we're in overtime. I've I've won a number of games in overtime. That doesn't bother me at all. Yeah, and let's say I think probably Republicans have an upper hand because the Libertarian is now out of that race. The Democrats spent so much money and couldn't get to 50%. And the all-stars of the Republican movement, theoretically, if Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, and Brian Kemp, who all you know have had good records of winning, came together, that would be an all-star team that Democrats would have a hard time doing. Do you think that's possible? And is that essential? Does Herschel Walker need the party to be behind him and not have any factionalism? I think this ought to be a moment where everybody gets on the same ticket and goes to work. I think that uh, there's not any excuse for uh, Governor Kemp or President Trump or uh, Governor DeSantis not to be helpful in getting uh, Herschel across uh, the finish line. Uh, and I, I think that's probably what's going to happen. I think there's a an inclination to to be favorable in that direction. Um, <clears throat> it is, um, I think, uh, really really important. But I also I also think it's important to recognize that uh, as a party, the Republicans did pretty darn well. I mean, DeSantis set records of all kinds in Florida and carried in school board members, members of Congress. Uh, statewide, uh, the state legislature, it was it was truly extraordinary. And both DeSantis and Marco Rubio uh, carried Miami-Dade County 
which had only been carried once before by Jeb Bush in one of his governor's races, otherwise never carried by Republicans. And now the margin was, was really big and really solid. And if you go around, you look around the country, there were governor's races all over the place. Governor Kemp, as you pointed out, uh, Governor McMillan in South Carolina, um, you know, the, the governor of Texas. I mean, just uh, in, in, in state after state, we did we did well. And as you and I are talking, they're still counting votes in Arizona. And it's very possible that Carrie Lake uh, is going to end up coming from behind and winning there. Yeah, no, that's right. Listen, they had a, they, it stayed pretty close to the prediction line, right? It was going to be 52-48. Maybe it's 51-49 if, if everything goes right. 10 to 20 House seats right now, it seems like to be the number. And the only objective for this election was for Republicans to be able to block the Biden agenda. The Biden agenda is dead the second Kevin McCarthy is sworn in. The lessons for 2024, I'd like to drill down a little bit about what we see in here Candidate quality clearly matters, right? I think Mamet Oz just didn't connect with Pennsylvania. But also, it seems as though Americans are looking to fire Democrats. They just want to make sure they hand the ship to the right person. And so maybe some changes in personnel make that happen. How do you read or what should Republicans take from this to immediately start their 2024 strategy? Well, I, I think that they, that the, first of all, I think on the House side, uh, where they had a coherent strategy, uh, they have to keep stick to their word. Uh, I spent the last three days of the campaign uh, traveling with Kevin McCarthy, and everywhere he went, he talked about the commitment to America, which people can see at commit to, commitmenttoamerica.com, and they just have to do that. I mean, that's that's there. They they I, I would urge them to spend 90% of their time passing positive things and 10% of their time investigating because the American public does have the right to know about the FBI or about Fauci or about a whole range of things. Uh, so I, I think that there, there is a legitimate role for the investigative side of the congressional uh, job. But I also think that they're, you know, they have 150 specific policy proposals in the commitment to America. Uh, I've, I've been urging them to print them out, put them in a little package, send them down to Biden and say, now, which of these can you sign? Because uh, you can't say he's not going to sign anything out of 150 different proposals and start feeding him stuff. I would also, I also noted that one of the applause lines that McCarthy got everywhere was the pledge that the first thing they were going to vote on uh, was to uh, repeal the 87,000 IRS agents. I think that's uh, going to be a very popular first step and puts the Democrats in a little bit of a bind. You really want to vote, uh, you know, to keep 87,000 agents having lost control and having seen uh, how popular the governors are getting. Yeah, that's a, a really remarkable point. There is this desire among a subset of the House Republicans that the first litmus test for Kevin McCarthy be, will be, will they allow him to impeach Mayorkas for his failure at the border? That could become sticky pretty quickly, right? Because uh, Kevin McCarthy's indicated impeachment isn't his first goal. I think what McCarthy ought to do is say, okay, let's lay out a set of hearings uh, let, let's educate the country. Let, you know, let's let the American people learn what this issue is all about. And then let's see where the people are. If, if the American people reach a conclusion that Mayorkas ought to be impeached, then you have a much stronger hand than it was just an inside Washington, you know, part, partisan uh, 
bickering. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And there's something they can do in the interim. There's a thing called the Holman Rule where for someone who's in government who doesn't abide by the current laws, you can defund them. It's something that's been around since the Civil War. And people like Andy Biggs and Paul Ryan have long been advocates. And Paul Ryan actually reenacted, but then they never used it in his term. But you could actually immediately defund the Homeland Security Secretary and say, if you want to see working there, good, but you only get a dollar a day and you don't have to impeach him. There are always ways to drive people out if you want to do that. That's right. But I think in in the case of, for example, Homeland Security, uh, getting to the truth, you know, did, did he in fact know that there was no whipping of uh, immigrants by the Border Patrol, and did he go out and lie to the American people knowing that it wasn't true? Now, that, it's important for us to get to the truth of it before we go running off to do something about it. And also help the Americans who may not have heard it, right? A lot of Americans haven't heard these things because it's been suppressed. You know, I think some of these people in, in, in Washington forget that the whole country has to be engaged, not just the folks, you know, who are, who are uh, dealing with uh, that immediate issue. And so sometimes members have already reached a conclusion without giving the information to the American people. And I think it's important to recognize that the job is give them the information and let them make up their mind. You know, don't, don't, don't get involved in, in uh, the... Uh, a situation where you've already made up your mind and now you're trying to sell them. So if Mayorkas is as bad as people say he is, the hearings would show it. And and you could build a tremendous case and there would be enormous positive uh, public support for what you're doing. Yeah, oh, that's a, such an important process. That uh, The education process and owning the narrative process is something that really could build support. Regular order. How important is it that the House get back to regular order? Well, I I think it's important for the country because I think uh, that we have uh, an obligation to reestablish a legislative process where the public knows what's going on, the members know what's going on, people have an orderly process of uh, amending things and improving things, and the whole goal of the legislative process originally was to have a dramatically improved pro- product because you had 435 contributors in the House and 100 in the Senate. So when that gets shrunk down to just the leadership and you get four or six or eight people in the room, uh, you're depriving the country of the knowledge and the wisdom and the thinking of uh, the other 530 or so people. And you are... <clears throat> making it very difficult for people to grow into an understanding of what they're voting on. I think these, when you get these 4,000-page bills uh, and you're going to vote the next morning, uh, it's not only destructive for that particular bill, but the process cuts the members off from being active participants in the process of self-government. December, CR, you had to fight through some of these in your time. Democrats are going to want to try to get a whole year of funding and lock in their priorities for the whole first fiscal year that Republicans want normally are in charge. How important is it for Republicans to fight? Should they just make a deal or should they fight for their principles and stick to the sort of things that they were talking about in that commitment? Well, I think that the uh, process, I, I would be very slow and very cautious and and make it the Democrats' problem. I'm not sure the Democrats can get it through by themselves. 
And and when they came to us for, for help, I would have a shopping list and say, sure, I, I want the following six things. Uh, but, but I'm not going to do, you know. And I think they've got to decide also, do, do they want to get in the middle of having to have this, let's say they did only a four-month or a three-month continuing resolution. Well, do they really want to end up taking either February or March and get totally reabsorbed in this? Or do they want to clear the plate so they have from now to September to really get a grip on the government and to really get a grip on what they want to get done? And I, I think but what they have to do is, is uh, check, first of all, make sure that the documents are available early enough to know what, what's in them. And second, uh, be, be clear about what you will not accept and will not support and knock any of that stuff out. Clarity, such an important thing. Last question, 2024 started about a few hours ago, of course. There are two big gorillas on the top of the Republican. Everybody else is way, way down the line. Trump v. DeSantis, is it inevitable? Could there be a Trump with DeSantis ticket that just clears the field? What would you like to see the 2024 race start out as? Well, I, 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 don't, I don't think you can have a Trump DeSantis ticket for two reasons. One is they both live in Florida. And you can't have both candidates from the same state. And Donald Trump would have to go back to Jersey. I, I can't imagine a circumstance where Trump and DeSantis could work together. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, they're both very, very strong personalities. Uh, that neither one of them is going to take orders from the other. Uh, so, so I would, I would look at that uh, pretty carefully. Uh, I think that, I think the results made it almost inevitable now that uh, there will be a that DeSantis will run. Uh, I mean, you, you can't you can't get almost 20 percent in Florida and have raised as much money as he has and already have. I mean, I just my own emails today, uh, the number of people who want somebody other than Trump who have decided literally overnight that the, that person is going to be DeSantis. Uh, he, he's going to find it almost impossible to avoid running. And I think I think Trump's got to look at the results and be and be troubled. Uh I think it did. You know, I can tell you, for me, uh, this was not the result I expected. I thought we'd win a lot more seats. I thought we'd win New Hampshire. I thought we'd win Pennsylvania for the Senate. Um, <clears throat> I thought we'd probably win uh, in in Arizona. So, so my track record is not all that great either. And I think it requires you to stop and, and look around and uh, and try to think about you know um, what do we do wrong? What do we not understand correctly? And uh, where do we go from here? Is there a scenario where Donald Trump looks at this and says, maybe it's not my time anymore, or do you think he stays in? I think he's a very, very smart man, and I'm sure that he is very disappointed. He worked very hard. He did a whole range of uh, rallies of thousands of people. And I know, uh, because I had the same feeling, I know that he went into Election Day thinking it was going to be a huge success. Uh, And I suspect that he's going to the same kind of rethinking and reappraising uh, that, uh, you know, that, that I'm going through. And we don't know where it's going to come out. He's, he is a very smart guy, and he's got to ask two questions. Uh, can, can he, in fact, beat DeSantis? He probably would say yes. Uh, coming out of that fight, would he end up be able to win a general election? Because I, I don't think he wants to run and, um, you know, have that kind of situation. Yeah, such a great point. Mr. Speaker, it's why we always talk to you. You make sense of all of the uh, complex things that an election gives us. And uh, 
And we're going to learn a lot more in the next few weeks, but I think uh, your assessment today helps everybody. I have to tell you, I, I got up, uh, I was with Kevin last night uh, with the entire House team looking at results, and I was pretty shaken because that was not the election I expected, uh, and I don't have as much confidence in my own judgment as I would have had uh, yesterday morning. Yeah, it's interesting to watch, and and uh, the pollsters got it wrong too. It, it, there's a dynamic there, but I also think there's a roadmap. I think American voters said they want change; they just may not have bought into the Republican change yet, and that that's what the 2024 election probably becomes. Yeah, and I think I think that's right. I think that uh, we need to listen carefully. I really do believe in government of the people, by the people, and for the people. I think uh, we need we need to sort of think through what do the people just try to tell us and i'm sure you and i'll have a conversation about that in the near future i would love that sir it's always an honor to have you on the show thank you so much and have a good rest of the day thanks a lot all right folks quick commercial break when we come back andy biggs from the great state of arizona where there's a cliffhanger still going on he's going to bring us up to speed and also on what the investigative priorities of congress are going to be Hey folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title in your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time. Go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote. It's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale, four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S forward slash Just News. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. Fresh off of a big win in Arizona, one of our good friends of the show, Congressman Andy Biggs. Congressman, great to have you on the show today. 
Great to be with you, John. Great to be with you anytime, but uh, particularly today. Yeah, it's a good day. And I know some people thinking, ah, maybe Republicans are a little depressed today, but they had one mission, which was to find a way to stop the Biden agenda. They have that with the House and they may have it with the Senate. And then I think there's a lot of fun learnings for how you recalibrate for 2024. What's your take on what's transpired over the last 24 hours? Well, I mean, I think that we're all just a little bit disappointed because we were promised a red wave and we thought that it would happen. But I, I think what we need to realize as Republicans is that uh, we win when we go out and talk about our issues and not get distracted. The other side is constantly um, trying to personalize this and and uh, do some trashing. And, and when we trash back, sometimes uh, we lose focus and, and lose the electorate. But, electorate. but I, I think we got to remember we're, we're, we're getting a lot of success this time. We are taking the House back, and we got to be focused on the, on the good news as, as well as uh, see what we can learn uh, on, on how to message it and how to go forward. Yeah, there is. That's an interesting thing of letting the Democrats distract, because I think that happens some, in some of these key races. There's this ticket-splitting phenomenon that we can see, and in some cases, it's really large. Like J.D. Vance is way smaller a win, though very convincing nonetheless, than Governor DeWine. You see it in all around the country. And there's a philosophical split, because Americans clearly don't like where Democrats are taking us. And yet, in many cases, they chose a Democrat in one or more of their statewide races. What do you think is the dynamic behind that? And how do Republicans adjust the dial a little bit to make sure in 2024 it's the other way around? Yeah, I I did see that. And I think at least part of it, I don't have all the answers for that because there's a lot of enigma with this election that we're going to have to sort out. But I I think that when I went out talking to people in Arizona and around the country, there's there's this kind of what I would call this uh, soft R, soft D, and uh, independent uh, people, not those, not leaning right, not leaning left, but they say things like, uh, Washington's broken. We think that there, that everything would be better uh, if if there was split government, truly split government, if there was a way to, to kind of compel members of Congress to work with each other. And I, I tend to think uh, that I may be overanalyzing it, but that's what I think I was hearing when I was out talking to, to uh, a certain folks uh, the, this election cycle. Fascinating to absorb that and think about that because there's going to be some real revaluation as we go into 2024. Florida is no longer a battleground state. It is clearly a red state. There's lots of reasons. Latino voters who played a role in Arizona, played a role in Nevada, played a role there, but also all the northerners who come down and gone to the state of freedom. It changes the balance for the entire calculation for both parties, knowing that probably Florida is off the table in 2024. Your thoughts on that? I agree with you 100 percent. I think I think uh, there's many factors. Uh, You know, you've got the MAGA factor that Trump introduced. You've got the incredible job that Ron DeSantis has done as governor um, and the sense of freedom that Florida has. I mean, I have, I have people in Arizona saying, well, yeah, if Arizona does, if blows it on this election, then maybe Florida is where I need to go. But, but Florida has done such a great job under DeSantis. And, and you know who's fleeing? You're right. You know who's fleeing the Northeast? The people that have been hosed by all the high taxes and regulation and the woke politics of the left. And so they're fleeing down to, to Florida and other Sunbelt states, but Florida is certainly uh, flipped completely around from where it was just six years ago. 
absolutely amazing to watch that transformation so quickly. And then Miami-Dade, first time since Jeb Bush in 1994 goes Republican. A lot of optimistic signs. And within Florida, there's this microcosm of the rest of the country that Republicans can perhaps emulate. You've got the cliffhangers in Arizona. Everybody expected them, but they're there now. It looked really rough at 11 o'clock last night, but all day today, Arizona's been turning redder and redder. And I think that trend line continues. Let's start with Carrie Lake. You feel good about her? Yeah, I feel great, great about where she sits. Um, as you and I talk, we're waiting another, uh, uh, you know, vote dump. And the total so far, it looks like there might be as, as many as 700,000, somewhere at least a half a million votes left. And what that means is because all of the late breaks, and these are late, these are day of voters. These are uh, people who dropped off ballots. I mean, they're the late voters. All of the late break is to the right. It's all to, it's all to Republicans. It carries only down about, about 11,000 votes as we speak. And I think the next dump will – I think she's going to be ahead by the end of the day for sure. Blake Masters is going to be right there closing get the gap um, for the next day and a half and until I think he's going to come across. But the other statewides are also going to be uh, – several of them are going to go on top by the end of the day um, because the trend, that's the trend line, and that's where it's going in Arizona. I think it's really fascinating when you look at – the young, new faces in Arizona. You have some of the biggest stars potentially for the next 10, 20, 30 years. Carrie Lake, one of them. Abe Hamaday is really somebody that I think is going to make a mark really quickly. Arizona's produced a bumper crop of next generation Republicans. That's got to feel good. And there's probably a lesson in these other states that they ought to be looking for similar type candidates. Can other states learn from what Arizona found in its candidate poll? Well, I think so. I mean, what you have is the the whole state is getting a deeper red. And, and so even though we, we have this delay, that is a, I'm sorry to say that's a normal electoral re, uh, time frame in Arizona. It needs to be fixed. Uh, hopefully we'll fix it with this new group. But what you saw is people embrace an America first agenda. And John, uh, I think I think Arizonans in particular said, look, we're tired of people uh, who won't fight for us. We're tired of people who promise to do something they don't deliver. We're tired of people who, who say they, they, they adhere to the Republican Party platform, which, by the way, most Arizonans, I think Arizona's a center-right state still, they, they agree with that. And they, they're just tired of, of country club Republicans. They want real fighters. Yeah, they do. They realize they have that sense of palpable urgency that this country's in danger if we don't fight harder. And I think that's right. The country club is no longer going to be comfortable. There's a lot that has to get done. Perhaps the most important of the time of the 2023 agenda starts in November and December with leadership followed by the rules of the chamber, regular order. I know how you've got regular order, the Holman rule. Where are you on the leadership, given how the races have turned out? Is Kevin McCarthy the guy? Will there be a challenge? What's your gut on that? Uh, my, my gut tells me that there's, we're going to have to have a real discussion internally uh, uh, about who should our leadership team be and what it should look like, what the objectives should be, because uh, already uh, some of the guys uh, who are trying to be leaders have already started backing away from, say, impeaching on Alejandro Mayorkas. They're, they're backing they're talking about how can we become kinder, gentler, and work better. And I think that's the, that's the pre-2016 uh, status quo that so many uh, Republicans rejected in the election of 2016. And I think, I think we have to have that very frank discussion. 
uh, going forward. I don't know who's going to end up being the leader, but if it's Kevin McCarthy, he's going to have to uh, be far more a little uh, far more tough than he has uh, necessarily shown. I mean, he's he's picked his battles, but I think Americans want us to um, actually bring the budget under control. They want to secure the border. They want us to to find a way to reduce oil and gas prices, uh, attack inflation, all of that. And you can't do that by being a passive uh, a sideliner or, or sitting there uh, acquiescing to the Biden administration or trying to get along. You're going to have to be tough. It's pretty interesting to think that there has to be that private conversation. Is there anyone, if it's not McCarthy, who's the next most logical choice? Is the caucus at that point yet or not yet? They want to hear what McCarthy says about being tougher and what the agenda is and are we at regular order? Do we do the Holman rule? I guess there's a lot of things that McCarthy could say in the next couple of days that would signal that he's heard the caucus. But first off, is that really what has to happen first? And then secondly, is there anyone that you look at and say, well, there's our alternative if we have to. If not, Kevin, then this. Well, I, I, I think we have to have the discussion, but I, you know, John, I don't really want to put a target on somebody's back and say, if not, <laughs> yeah, good point. This is the person because then they uh, <laughs> could be in bad shape. Yeah, it's like putting a glow jacket on a Navy SEAL during a mission. It doesn't work well. That's exactly right. Exactly. Right. So we got to have the discussion go forward and and kind of and and take the temperature. I mean, I hope that people understand that that. Uh, this country wants us to move forward and derail an agenda. I hope I hope our my colleagues understand that. Yeah, I think I think they must have gotten that message, Jesse. But you're right; it all comes down to the rules. Holman rule. It's interesting. I've been talking to some of the leadership, and I'm starting to get a sense they like it. They they remember the discussions in '17, but then it wasn't really used. That could be something that's not only symbolic but really a surgical tool. You and I talk about it often. Do you think the leadership will buy into that when rubber hits the road? Well, that's part of the issue on the previous question in the discussion is, are they really going to do this? Because we did it in, in the 115th Congress uh, just four years and and we didn't, we never used it. And we could have, we should have, there were people that should have been targeted and there were agencies that we could have targeted. But uh, every time an amendment was offered based on that, it was, um, uh, rejected. So uh, I, I think that the Holman rule, and for, for people who don't understand what that is, that is allows us to target a bureaucrat or, or a bureaucracy, an agency, and reduce their funding very specifically. And uh, I, I think it is a, a solution that we have to use. It's a tool we have to use, John. Yeah, it helps reduce the size of government. It also takes bureaucrats who aren't responsive to the powers of Congress, because we see that more and more. It puts them on notice that there's actually going to be a consequence. We don't even need your DOJ to prosecute you. We're just going to defund you if you don't follow our uh, the law. And I think that that would be, it's like having a line item veto in Congress. It's kind of a cool thing. That's why when you first mentioned it, I have heard, I, I can't tell you, Congressman, how many people have called me since the first time we had that conversation on television. That's the best idea I've heard. Everyday people, state legislators like, hey, we got to put that in our state legislature. I think you started a firestorm. I'm determined to pin down Kevin McCarthy on this. I've been talking to his staff and my goal is to get an answer from him as a reporter. Do you support this or not? Because it, it, it's something that I think a lot of people, once you uttered it, like, 
darn, we got to go do that. It's caught on. So that's going to be a fun one. Parting thoughts. Next few days are busy. Arizona will settle itself out. There's a Georgia runoff. Obviously, the three big Titans are going to all have to come together. What's the checklist of most important things that you're looking at between now and Thanksgiving? Um, what we've got to do is we've got to, in my opinion, uh, lay, get the rules. The rules have to be adopted, and they have to be really good rules for the House. Um, and, and they need to democratize or decentralize power to the members. Uh, uh, and then the second thing is we're going to do our leadership team, and that is going to set the tone because, John, I'm telling you, if we don't do anything in the first eight months, then as you know, it immediately goes into a presidential election cycle, and uh, yeah, it's all done. And so the American, you, you, we will make or break the 2024 election cycle probably within the first three months of 2023. And uh, I, people probably don't appreciate that, but that's that's really the way I see it. And so we've better uh, laid the groundwork for our investigations. We better be ready to go with, in my opinion, impeachment of Mayorkas, and we better have a good uh, way to fight the budget and and start peeling back uh, the inflation, uh, inflationary pressures uh, causing spending and uh, the energy. And it can't be performative either. It just can't. It can't be performance art. It has to be serious, real stuff. And that's uh, that's where I'm I'm focusing on uh, right now. Congressman, it's always an honor. We know you're on the front lines of the biggest fights, and you always have a clarity in your message and your plan. Over the next few weeks and months, we're going to be listening closely to you because I think you're going to be able to tell us where that compass is going to be set. Great honor to have you on the show today, and congratulations on your win. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. It's always good to be with you. You as well, sir. We'll look forward to doing it again soon. Thank you. All right, folks, don't touch that dial. Before we go anywhere, Dr. Orlando Gutierrez-Bornet's going to talk about Cuba, Latinos in the election last night. A good discussion. He has a must-read book. It's one of my favorites. Cuba, the Doctrine of the Lie. Go check it out. All right, we'll be right back after these messages. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Many, many things, many subplots and storylines in last night's election. Some still to be written, as we know, in Arizona, Wisconsin, Nevada. But one storyline that is concrete, clear, irrefutable is what happened in Florida. First off, Florida is a clear red state. It is no longer a toss-up battleground. It is a clear red state. There are a lot of different dynamics for that. One of them is that a lot of Republicans from the North moved down to the free state of 
Florida. Another one is the increasing evolution of Hispanic voters in Florida, which are increasingly voting in, in, in favor of Republicans and conservatism. And our next guest has had his finger on the pulse. He is a leading figure in Florida. He is the coordinator of the Cuban resistance. He is, and he's a great author, by the way, one of the, one of the best books I've read in the last few years. Dr. Orlando Gutierrez Barnett, good to have you on the show, sir. Well, I'm honored to be here with you. There is a pretty darn interesting dynamic in how last night ended up. Ron DeSantis wins by 20, Marco Rubio somewhere in the 14 to 16% range. These are landslide elections. But in Dade County, which has been consistently blue, except for maybe one Jeb Bush election that I remember back in 94, that has been a blue area. Tell us what happened last night in Dade and why it's part of a much larger, bigger story. I think what you had in in Dade is, in my opinion, um, you have many Hispanic Democrats who are voting Republican. I think they're doing so because even though, for example, the Cuban working community is very diverse, and so is the Venezuelan and Colombian community. There's a, a deep consensus that we want a firm foreign policy against regimes in Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela. And people will vote uh, in that sense. Very interesting. A lot of the pollsters and some of the people who have done focus group have described this to me a little bit, which is if you, your family, or your loved ones fled from socialism and a repressive tyrant and you came to America and you start to see the symbols and signs of big government suppression, you're more likely than ever to have a visceral reaction and, and act upon it. Is the fear that America has resembled some elements of socialism and big government and liberty crushing, making a connection to people who they themselves or their families fled similar circumstances and came here because this was the shining city on a hill? Yes, I think there's also, of course, there's also another key component, which is um, you know, the family is the central unit for, for Hispanics across the board. And I think there's a conservative agenda for Hispanics of preserving family values, family unity. When it comes to that, Hispanics tend to be very pro-life. Um, and they feel all these issues have become major political issues right now. So I don't think that it's that Hispanics have left the Democratic Party. I think the Democratic left has, has left Hispanics. Yeah, that's a great point. I've had many voters tell me that in many different demographics, but Latino for sure. When you see what DeSantis has done in Florida, it hasn't been fully replicated. I think it was pretty closely replicated in Virginia with Youngkin. Nevada, there's some improvement with Hispanics, maybe not as much as what the Republicans hoped in that state. Why is Florida more successful, Republicans have been more successful connecting with Hispanic voters and building a coalition? And what do these other states, these other political leaders who have similar values as the constituency they're courting, what do they have to do to close the deal? I think the main thing is that you have a strong civil society. And like I said, it's very diverse on many, many issues, but on core issues like foreign policy, like regards family values, they, they vote in a very unified manner. So in addition to, a, to what the Republican Party might do, you also have networks of Masons, different churches, different veterans associations, uh, et cetera, who are very, very active in the community. And, you know, they have, they have their issues, which they advocate and they defend. That is such an important thing and connecting the issues. And I think language and the way you talk to constituencies, whether it's Latinos or young voters, there's a way that the most successful politicians have used. Republicans are getting better at using that language, but there's still some work to do. What's the best advice? If there's a 2024 presidential candidate saying, I, I want in, I want 
Latinos keep coming our way, what's the advice you would give them to continue to make that connection? I think my advice is there's, you know, I'm, uh, speaking as a Cuban American, we're a very organized community, a very intense community that has key issues. And I think the, the, the issue of the liberation of Cuba can no, can no longer be postponed. It's a major key issues, key issue. I think you even had Democratic candidates also going in that direction because with, with the citizen uprising taking place in Cuba and the protests which have spread out throughout the country in the past year, it's, it's time for Cuba to change. And I think, uh, I think DeSantis has taken that to heart. He's turned to a major part of his platform, not a marginal uh, reference. And I think all parties should take heed of this. That's a really great point. The Hispanic community, particularly in Florida, loves DeSantis. That's irrefutable. They seem to have, they're pretty fond of President Trump as well. Um, With 2024 on the horizon, what do you see happening with the community as the presidential race gears up? I think both President Trump and Governor DeSantis have a lot of sympathy in the community. Um, We would have to see how that develops, if DeSantis runs or if Trump runs. But they both are very popular figures who really worked their community very effectively. That is their capability, their organizational skills, their communication skills seem to really connect them for both of them. It's very interesting to watch. You have done an awful lot of activist work to really get the conversation where it needs to be, not only in Florida, but all over the country. You wrote a book recently, and I got a chance to see this late in the summer. I think our mutual friend, Halette Frahella, sent it to me. But Cuba, the doctrine of the lie, there is a really remarkable storyline that I think most Americans who don't haven't lived the Cuban experience, don't know about that country. Tell us why you wrote the book and what the Doctrine of the Lie refers to. Well, Doctrine of the Lie, first of all, thank you so much for mentioning it. Uh, the Doctrine of the Lie refers to the myth, the, the concoction of lies that has been fabricated in the United States over the years by liberals to justify support for the Castro regime. Um, and it's a lie that, that goes deep into Cuban history, deep into U.S. history, and completely distorts what happened in Cuba and what is happening now. And what the book seeks to do is, you know, give an, a detailed analysis of what totalitarianism is, which is something that we've forgotten after, after the fall of the Soviet Union, but still exists in China and Cuba and elsewhere. And also to provide, you know, um, an analysis of what the communist leaders in Cuba did, uh, how it wasn't an accident, uh, the establishment of a totalitarian state in Cuba, how they went about it deliberately, and the human cost of that. Totalitarianism is probably glossed over more in Cuba than many other regimes where we know there aren't much differences in many of the ways that people in Cuba and people in Iran are treated. Yet Iran gets much more hostily treated in the way Americans perceive it. Why is there this soft spot to overlook some of the really horrific human rights abuses, the, the, the repression of freedom in Cuba, when it mirrors other places where we speak up much more vocally? Well, I think there's a very, there's a key reason for that. And it's that the Cuban revolution, the Cuban regime is iconic for the left. It's, it's, a, it's a key element of the ideology of the far left in this regime. Um, it was for Marcuse. Herbert Marcuse thought that the Cuban revolution was essential for achieving socialism in the U.S. So they tried to gloss over Cuba because it's been used as an example and as a false example and as a false model to indoctrinate many youth. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? That Marxist core that has seeped into the Democratic Party in a very big way that connectivity to Cuba right near our shores. It's so palpable. It's very interesting. There's a lot of work to be done. We've seen over the last couple of years much more restlessness of the Cuban people acting out, willing to put their lives at risk to fight the current regime. 
what is going to happen there and what can America do to topple the regime in Cuba? Is, is regime change possible in the near future in Cuba? It's important to understand this regime collapsed the Cuban economy on purpose. This regime collapsed um, collapsed the Cuban infrastructure. It, it, it impoverished Cuba, which was a wealthy country. It was a developing country with great success before 1959 in order to rule it. So the regime will do everything it can to to destroy it. Isn't that amazing? That's anathema to most people. Even when you think, of, you know, well, why would you destroy your own economy to hold on to it? And the answer is that's how Marxist ideology essentially works. And it's absolutely fascinating to hear people say that. You watched last night. It's a mixed verdict, right? Uh, some places Republicans did well. Ron Johnson just was called a winner in Wisconsin. Looks like Pat Paul Loxalt might win in Nevada with the help of Latinos, by the way. Ron DeSantis crushing victory in Florida, along with Marco Rubio. Elsewhere, a lot of mixed verdicts, even though the top line figure across the country is most people think we're on the wrong course with Democrats and Joe Biden, but they didn't, they were still willing to vote in their personal races for a Democrat often. Why that disconnect? Why think that we're on the wrong course, but keep the controlling parties representative in your state in there? Do you, do you have a theory of what was going on last night? Well, I think the way the, the U.S. electoral system is set up, you know, local organizations are still very, very strong and they're very important. And uh, I think a lot of that has to do with how people will behave at the at the voting booth on Election Day. So I, I attribute that to the need for conservatives to do more grassroots work and to really get in get in connection with what's important to communities at the local level. When I first got in as a journalist, my first editor said, listen, all politics is local. Even if there's a national issue, it's still local. You have to like the local guy in order to still close the deal. Yeah, that's that's the great thing about federalism. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's exactly what our founding fathers had in mind. There's no doubt about it. This is an amazing moment in American history. As we head out to commercial break, I want to ask you, Orlando, what do you see as the defining issues that will be at the heart of the 2024 election for both Latinos in general, Cuban-Americans in general, and then for the entire country as well? Because I think they share very similar worries about the future of our country. I think there's going to be three main issues, four main issues. One is uh, the economy. is not going to get any better. Um, two is energy. I mean, that, is, that problem is going to increase. Uh, the third is foreign policy. We're only beginning to hear from Russia and China. That will also get worse. And I think immigration that will be caused by the, the first three factors so much. Yeah, those are three very powerful issues. They're going to define the next two years of our dialogue and debate in this extraordinary country. What's the best way to stay connected? For people who are inspired what they heard today and they want to connect and get involved in what you're doing, what's the best way to connect and stay following you? I think the best way to connect is to get involved in your community to get involved with the issues that matter to you, to make it clear where you stand. And I think Florida is an example of how grassroots organization and mobility works. People are voting. People are voting what they care about. And, you know, they're not, I don't think, I think in very few cases, the U.S. voter is ideological. I think they vote for their values. They vote for their concrete and specific life. That's such a great point. Pragmatism. They're very pragmatic. The American people always have been the pragmatic voter. It's, it's very interesting. Dr. Orlando Gutierrez Bourne, what an honor to have you on. Congratulations on a must-read book. Folks, if you haven't read this book, you will be far more educated 
on Cuba if you do it. Cuba, The Doctrine of the Lie, very powerful book. Just came out this summer. A great read for anyone who wants to understand the world at large, Cuba and America more specifically. Sir, great honor to have you on. Look forward to having you on again soon. Listen, it's a big honor to be in your program. I'm glad to have connected. And thank you so much for reading the book. Thank you so much as well. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after these messages. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News Hey, one thing I wanted to give you a shout out before we go for the evening. Tommy John is one of our new strategic partners, one of our advertisers, our sponsors. They have some of the most comfortable loungewear you'll ever have. It's not only fashionable, it's downright comfortable. Sometimes when I'm up at the cabin, I've been working out in the yard all day. I'm so tired to throw on a pair of Tommy John's. And I feel comfortable. I feel warm. I feel relaxed. It's amazing how really super comfort clothes make a difference. Well, Tommy John wants to do more than make you comfortable. They want to also save you from having to go out on the Black Friday and hit all the crowds and get all of that frustration and be worn out in day one of the Christmas shopping season. How are they going to do that? They're going to let you participate early in the Tommy John's Black Friday sale. You get to do it from your couch. You get super duper comfortable when you give your loved ones Tommy John. They're that much more comfortable so they can do everything better. So shop Tommy John's Black Friday sale right now. Now, how do you do that? The Black Friday sale is going on through the next couple of weeks. You get 30% off site-wide at tommyjohn.com slash justnews. 30% off at tommyjohn.com slash justnews. That's a great deal. Go check it out right now. All right, folks, that wraps up today's edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Justin News. Have a great evening. We'll have more from the fallout of the 2022 midterm elections tomorrow right here. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner, whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bike. You and your family need to be prepared. That's what we learned from this last pandemic, right? That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their great doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough on all the time on our shows. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. And the new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy, and most importantly, prepared. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z 
The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all of these life-saving medications. So you know what you're doing. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even the bioweapon like the plague, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to keep you and your family safe from whatever the globalists throw your way. Go to www.twchealth/justnews today in order. That's twc.health/justnews and use the promo code justnews to save 10%. Hey there, it's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, expert politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey.